Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. In every episode, we will feature some incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender or if you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com. Today we're talking with Chris DiMattia, who's a bartender and owner at Recovery Room Tavern in Charleston, South Carolina. But before we chat with Chris, let's get a bit of context on what's been going on in the news and why South Carolina is important right now to what's going on in politics in America. All right, Rob, we've been wanting to get a South Carolina pod in for a while. So why do we care? Why do we need to know about South Carolina? Well, South Carolina, in terms of the presidential politics, sits out there as this important state that's going to happen fast, right? It's going to be here before anyone knows it. We're focused on Iowa and then New Hampshire. But after that, they go rolling into South Carolina in late February very quickly. And if any Republican like Haley or DeSantis, but particularly Haley, who we'll talk about today, breaks through and gets into a head-to-head with Trump, South Carolina all of a sudden is going to be the center of the universe in late February before we even know what happens. So I'm really looking forward to getting in there now in a city like Charleston, which is probably the one more, the more liberal cities in the very red state, but get some perspective as to what people should be expecting and looking for in the weeks to come. And by the way, right on the heels of South Carolina, Super Tuesday. That's when you're going to see all these delegates being chosen around the country. So it'll be the biggest thing to happen right before Super Tuesday. Let's get to it. Welcome to Highball Politics. We are honored that you are our first South Carolina episode, which is going to be timely as we'll get into here in a moment. But welcome to Highball. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about the Recovery Room. Yeah, well, guys, thanks for having me. Recovery Room is located on King Street, 685 King, Charleston, right downtown and kind of the north end of King Street, but still in the, the downtown business district. And uh, we've been open for 15 and a half years and sort of watched the city grow sort of around us. We are the local food and bev bar, and then we straddle the line on the weekends of becoming a nightclub, which is sort of interesting when people are in there just drinking 250 PBR and then with a packed like DJ dance floor going. But it's really great. I'm the sole owner. I grew up across the street from a guy who owned a bar, and I always wanted to be like Mr. Higgins. And even though everyone thought I was crazy, I eventually made that happen when I was 28. I opened the bar. Own a couple other in Charleston now, a karaoke bar and a little neighborhood bar as well. Patrons run the gamut from <laughs> literally debit cards declining for $4 to lawyers. <laughs> Interesting. So I guess we have to note you have a national distinction at the recovery room, which is that you guys sell more 12-ounce cans of PBR than any other place in the country. Is that real? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, I mean, I probably could just buy the banner and put it up there for marketing purposes, and no one from PBR would care. But no, yeah, we've been the number one for nine years, and we were number two for, I think, two or three years prior to that. I opened in 08. In 09, I had a guy named Jay from PBR. He was living in Atlanta, and he kind of came through town to hand out swag and hats and whatnot. And he had never been in, but he saw my sales. So he came in and introduced himself. And he started looking around. And he wondered if there was like an 
outdoor bar or second floor to the building. And I was like, no, it's just this little room. And he was floored with the volume we were doing. So, you know, it just kind of caught on. I worked at another bar up the road for four years. It was more of a, I would say, neighborhood restaurant type pub. I had come from the nightclub scene in Boston. And so it drove me crazy because I would just run around dropping off hamburgers and Diet Cokes. But from about 1130, 12 o'clock to 2 a.m., we'd get a lot of food and Bev come in. And they all drank PBR and like Grand Marnier or a shot of Jameson with it. So I knew as soon as I opened my own bar, I was like, I don't have PBR. Like, Give me PBR. So we usually ask, you know, our bartenders to offer their signature cocktail, but clearly the signature here is going to be Pabst Blue Ribbon. Let's delve into the PBR for just a moment, because this is one of those like enduring brands. I mean, think about all the cheap beers in our lifetimes, They're either kind of our regional players or they kind of come and go, but PBR just feels like it's been around forever and it endures. Yeah, it really does. It's an interesting company. Now that I've been like involved with them for an extended period, I've, you know, I've met from the owner to the CFO to all the different heads. They've been really good to me. Yeah. It basically at this point, PBR is a marketing company. It's not even really a brewery anymore. They contract all their brewing out to other companies. Mm -hmm. Miller Coors is the main, which a lot of brands do, but what PBR kind of set them apart is back in the 70s and even the early 80s when a lot of these like local regional brands were just dying on the vine pbr went out and bought brands like for 10 cents on the dollar and so if you check out pbr corporate and you see how many brands they own it's it's wild from lone star in texas they got rainier they used to have narragansett they sold that to anheuser-busch I'm not sure about old style, but I've heard maybe. They also own Zingdao, which is like the popular beer in China. So it's this really like interesting like gamut of beer. When I first got involved with them, that was like probably 15 years ago when we started like the real relationship. They had less than 100 employees and they were just a marketing company driving around. They don't spend money on TV ads. They'd rather put on concerts and hand out hats and headbands and pens and t-shirts and go to different like art shows and stuff. And so my bar being a straight up dump was right up their alley. And PBR just like, you know, you walk into that bar and you see the paddle and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get that for a few bucks instead of something else. I mean, that's yeah. just kind of the, their secret. So one last little, little thing on PBR, because you alluded to the owner, there's been all this consolidation, obviously in, in alcohol, but this is still a privately owned American company. Yeah. You know, Budweiser is owned by what the Brazilians. I mean, this is like the American beer. Well, Yingling too, I believe, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, I've you know, been around forever. There's actually a girl who lives here in Charleston who's a related to the original Paps family, and her family sold it to now the guy who owns it. He's an American citizen. He's here. He's living in the U.S. I think he's of Russian background, but I'm as far as I understand, he was like born here. He's like American, but yeah, they refer to PBR as a economical session lager. So yeah, you go in, you see that <laughs> handle. And uh, I mean, we started drinking it in college when it was, you know, six bucks for a 12 pack. And I was just like, listen, man, I'm not drinking for the quality taste. I'm trying to get drunk. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's still that play. Uh, unfortunately, being the number one seller of PBR has not led to like fame and fortune though. It's like, I probably make like $40 a case that I sell. So yeah, I'd love to ask you about the number you're doing volume. I'm doing, yeah, I do do a lot of volume. And anyone who buys a PBR tends to buy a shot with it. Or we do a drink and a shot special with PBR. So 
an Irishman is PBR and Jameson. Italian, PBR and Fernet. Mexican is PBR and Altos Tequila. So we kind of like tie it in to encourage them for 750. It's like, dude, man, just get the beer in the shot. So PBR is like the United Nations of selling liquor shots, which watch this transition, Kochel. Speaking of the United Nations, <laughs> let's Great. talk about former well UN ambassador and your former governor as we transition to politics. Chris, Nikki Haley, let's start when she was governor. I mean, in the rec room, was it like people were generally, you know, good with Nikki Haley? Was she popular? Were there problems? And then what are people thinking and saying about what she's doing now? Yeah, sure. So I think when Nikki was governor, she did a good job and she's, you know, obviously Republican. This is a red state. My bar is pretty heavily and Charleston County itself is a democratic island in the mm -hmm. entire yeah. state. So I think it would sort of be like maybe Austin described in Texas, right? Yeah. Um, running a theme on this podcast. We we go to a lot of blue places in red states. Yeah. In fact, we just had a new mayoral election and we voted a Republican as mayor. And I think that's the first time in like 150 years that Charleston will have a Republican mayor. Uh -huh. um, the mayor we had was just, he was not going to win. Anyhow, back to Nikki. Nikki did a great job, I think, as governor of South Carolina. The bar itself, we try not to discuss politics or religion too much in the bar. It tends to get heated fairly quickly. <laughs> so I would like tamp it down as much as I can. But I very rarely heard negative comments about Nikki. I know that when she became ambassador to the UN, people were happy about it around here. They were proud. And then when she stood up to Trump, people loved it. Trump is fairly despised in the bar. Again, yeah. we're more of a food and bev, a lot of artists, a lot of musicians. So it's a, sort of a lower end kind of crowd that just is almost anti-politics at this point. They're so fed up with it. Mm. Now, that being said, Charleston's a funny market where we also have a group of political consultants that hang out in the bar and they're there all the time and they're repping some pretty big names in U.S. politics and they're there because South Carolina is such a lead in the presidential election primary. So, you know, they all kind of moved here and then somehow they just found Recovery Room, which is sort of the, you know, it's the working man's bar and they like to come in and just, they get a vibe and feel how the general public is feeling about a candidate by just kind of hanging out there and just listening. That's the it. whole point of this podcast where we try to suss out what the vibe is, what people are talking about, what they care about, what riles them up. I've spent a little time in South Carolina politics. It is an interesting state for politics. There's no doubt about that. I ran the Jeb campaign. You know, we were kind of hoping for a breakthrough in South Carolina when we started putting that campaign together. It obviously didn't work out that way, but it has a reputation for being a pretty cutthroat state for primary politics, particularly on the Republican side. Maybe some of those consultants you have hanging out at your bar have helped earn that reputation. So let's talk about specifically about Nikki. She seems to be having a moment right now. Are people in South Carolina paying close attention at this point? I come from Iowa and politics is all we're talking about. The airwaves are flooded with ads constantly. That same thing is true in New Hampshire, but South Carolina doesn't happen until March. Are people tuned in at this point and watching? I think they're definitely tuned in. Tim Scott dropping out, you know, Lee's Nikki, you know, at the forefront. And I wouldn't be surprised. I would expect her to come in second here in the state behind Trump. The new mayor that just got elected came out right after his election, said he was uh, for Nikki, front page of the local paper. And I think this area, you know, would vote for Nikki. Again, she really hasn't done anything 
bad to upset even even in sort of a democratic city here they kind of know the way the vote goes and they would vote for her over trump who is still just such a polarizing figure that it's almost like not even who's the best candidate it's like who do we think could be him which is unfortunate but i think nikki she is from talking with my patrons and just talking with just people around town they are definitely for her versus the other three options that are going to be in that primary. You mentioned Tim Scott. Let's do a little reflection on on that. Did his run and kind of how it ended, that surprise you? He came in with a lot of money. He had what was going to be a huge super PAC that didn't end up working out. He goes to Iowa where he's got this great faith story that plays well among evangelicals there. And yet he just could never quite break through. What do you make of that? Were you paying attention to that campaign yeah, at all? I was, I was. And I so, I was sort of surprised that he didn't, but I think his like sort of message of like hope and like, it's not all gloom and doom. Like there's good things happening and I'm a good guy and I'm a religious guy. He's a hardworking guy. He plays second fiddle in South Carolina to Lindsey Graham. He doesn't really get as much press I guess as the junior senator, we hear more about Nancy Mace than we do about Tim Scott. And I don't, you know, she's obviously our congressional delegate, but yeah, Tim was just, it was just quiet. Like no one was excited. I think also because Nikki Haley's running at the same time, you're asking people like, oh, which one do you like? Well, they're both from South Carolina. But then everyone just say, oh, Nikki Haley. I would say eight out of 10 people would be for Nikki over Tim Scott. Not that Tim Scott's a yeah. bad politician or person but he doesn't bring that energy that she does and again i don't know about his background whether the religion or whatnot but it just didn't seem to i know he was out in iowa a fair amount like you know just trying to trying to get the word out about his campaign it just seemed like it fell flat mm -hmm. voters in iowa seem to agree uh, you mentioned Nancy Mace, who's the congresswoman that represents Charleston, Republican, probably the, about the most competitive congressional seat in South Carolina, I believe, between D's and R's. She became prominent a couple of months ago in that she was one of the House Republicans that voted to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker, which then, of course, led to the weeks of yeah. disarray. So what's the sense about that? that you can pick up there in the community about her being in the middle of that drama? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we just have short memories yeah. and it seems like it's been forgotten about that she was one of the ones that voted for it, but then had no plan of action to be like, well, who's up next? I'm a small business owner. Even if I have a problem employee, I have to like make a plan before I let them go. If not, I'm just creating a bigger headache for myself. The sphere here is still like, no, Nancy's great and she's doing a good job and people like her. This is a really competitive seat. And I was very surprised that she won, uh, I guess that was three years ago in an upset. I would say upset for the area because now I'm drawing a blank on his name, but Congressman we had was very, very well liked and is like a great, like local guy. Like he's walking around Charleston shaking hands with small business owners in and out, you know, at all sorts of different events, not just going to say Republican donor events and not just trying to make a splash with headlines that are going to be very divisive. So I'd be curious to see how her campaign shapes up next year, because she's going to have to answer for a lot of these things that she's done. And in a purple area, 
that might be tough for her. Joe, just real quick, it was Joe Cunningham that she beat back in 20, right? Yeah. yeah. So you think, though, people might have a short memory and that they don't really think that much differently about her given the context of the last few months. But to me, like, so I always wanted to like Nancy Mace. I thought she was a great candidate. I knew her campaign manager and her first chief of staff. But I just cannot make any sense out of the last couple of months. And I think it has to do with the fact that she kind of likes the national brand, you know, the, the fame that's coming with all the controversy and maybe it helps raise money and all that. You know, so is it possible that the home front will kind of view her the way they've always viewed her? Or do you think this is going to change things? No, I think I think this will change things. And I think like recently, again, short memories, people have moved on to whether it's the war in Israel or whatnot, and maybe that saved them. I hate to say it like that, but like all the news has changed, right? Yeah. So unless you're following politics really closely, and right now politics is really just the national, whether it's debate tomorrow or whatnot. But I personally think, and from what I can tell, is that she's going to have a tough battle next fall during the re-election because somebody's going to run all these ads and remind everyone of all the things she's done. And it's going to be like, is Nancy really for South Carolina or is Nancy for herself trying to make a name nationally mm -hmm. as sort of firebrand look at me? Great observation. I mean, that's usually what gets some of these politicians is they start looking too far beyond their responsibilities yep. and alienate their districts. It'll be an interesting one to watch. You're going to be in the middle of it and see a lot more ads than you care to. So good luck with that. So let's look at the president because you're a bit of a you know blue dot and red sea, as we like to say, there in Charleston. And South Carolina historically is very important to well, electing Joe it Biden. It saved his campaign. Yeah, South Carolina is where Biden, you know, won and then never looked back on getting the nomination. So there's a deep identity for Biden with South Carolina. In fact, they've changed the Democrat nomination rules this year to where South Carolina is the first Democrat primary. Doesn't matter. No one serious is running against him. But what's the current sense then with your patrons that might lean a little more to the left about the president? They all feel he's too old. Yeah. You know, you see him stumble and he is. I mean, he's old. Definitely hear that, that there's concern there. You know, is he going to become Reagan in his last four years, right? Where it's like, who is really running the country those last few years? Does he even remember it um, as to what's going on? So his age and then just a general disappointment. I find with like the Republicans, especially I'm from Massachusetts, so pretty blue state coming to a, a real red state. I consider myself an independent. You know, if you're not willing to like look at both sides, you're not really... I don't know. That's just my opinion. You should be open-minded. But, um, you know, with Biden, the younger kids that voted for him, they were all excited. They're all disappointed that the world hasn't changed, right? And I try and tell them, I'm like, listen, politics and all these things move slow. So you can say you're going to do this, this, and this, but unless you can get it past Congress, it's not going to happen. Biden's also got another problem with just inflation in general. Now they've got it under control and it's not going up. But the problem is, is the prices are still where they were when they shot up, you know, when inflation was running at 9%, those right. prices haven't come down. So right now, the biggest thing I hear from all my patrons is they're broke. And rent in Charleston during the pandemic skyrocketed because South Carolina was open for business. I mean, I think I had to close for four weeks. And after two weeks of everything being on the open on the patio, I was like, well, you can open up and let people come inside. They should just be spread out. A month after that, it was like balls to the wall. And so I was getting patrons... <laughs> I mean, every ID I was checking was Philadelphia, D.C., New York, because we're on 95. I mean, New Orleans was even closed, but Charleston was open, right? 
Wow. A lot of pandemic PBR that got sold. Heck yeah. I hit numbers that I'd never hit again. I'd look back at like the sales and it'd be Monday night would be busy, like open to close. There would be no lulls. But what ended up happening was during that period, you had a lot of people move because it was more affordable here than say living in Manhattan. And they could take their salary down here where it was much cheaper. And then the rents went through the roof. And so now the people I'm talking to in the bar, they don't have as much money to come out. Yeah, they'll come out and have a PBR or two and a shot, but then they go home. They don't have the extra money to spend. And they blame Biden for that because they voted for him the last time. And they see it as like his fault. I try to like talk sense to them and be like, it just doesn't work that way, guys. My degree's in business, but minor's in economics. Just an undergrad, nothing crazy, but enough to know that it's like, hey, this is it's a slow roll, guys. Like it's not gonna change in two months. Right. You know, he's also got the problem what we're seeing in some of the major cities now in terms of Israel. So I think he's got all kinds of challenges with young voters. It could be the economy, it could be foreign policy, it could be a lot of things. Tell us about this. Anybody talk about Kamala Harris down there? No, very rarely. And she's been through Charleston a few times, but no one seems to really bring her up other than a few regulars that are like, and oh my God, Biden's going to die. And then we'll have Kamala Harris. Okay, like, is that a bad thing or a good thing? And if it is, you can't give me why. And there's just never really a decent explanation as to like what it is. I feel like the Biden campaign made it a point to kind of hush her up by making her the vice president, right? The paper tiger. Okay, you're there, but you're not really doing a whole lot. And hopefully people are going to come out and vote because you're on the ticket. Yeah, I don't know. When you talk to other people, what do, what do they feel like elsewhere? You know, it's interesting. She doesn't seem like she has a real constituency. It was a big box to check. You know, first black woman on a ticket. It very much plays well to the identity politics part of the Democratic Party. But yeah, you don't really find a lot of defenders out there. And you'd think in a place like South Carolina, where you've got, you know, so many African-American voters and they were so consequential that, you know, she'd get more attention or she'd be more prominent or they'd, you know, send her there for more things. But it sounds to me like that's not the case. You know, and Biden basically beat her for those African-American votes in the Democrat primary in South Carolina. Well, she was out by then. But that's one of the reasons she was out. Right. right, She wasn't catching on anymore. Yeah, he was no, ahead she didn't, polling. Yeah, she didn't make it to Iowa. I didn't realize she dropped out that early. Let's switch to a little culture. You're in the South. It's college football bowl season. I'm guessing there's TVs out in the rec room. So with the final four, with Alabama getting in, Michigan, Washington, Florida State getting hosed, and Texas is in. Actually, I guess Alabama got in instead of Florida State. So what will the vibe be like? Who do you coalesce around there in in Charleston in all this? Well, I'll tell you, there was like, there was a huge, like Saturday when Georgia lost, it was like such a relief and everyone was so excited <laughs> and being a Boston Red Sox fan and you have a, and you have a terrible season. All you really care about is that, well, hey, the Yankees did win. So right. <laughs> with Clemson sort of like trying to rebuild and USC just being terrible now for a while. Our goal is just to see Georgia lose. And we have a couple bars here in downtown Charleston that, I mean, they get hundreds of people to show up for Georgia games. Being so close to Georgia and people want to be on the coast that they decide to move here and sort of take over. And so I had a couple bartenders and a couple managers come in from several different bars that are Georgia bars. And we're like, thank God that's over with. I think you'll probably see 
it all it'll, it'll be for Alabama. Yeah, and yeah. Alabama. SEC. That's what I think it's all gonna. Yeah, it'll stick with the SEC because somehow you can justify that in your mind that the champion came out of the SEC, and and the reason we don't win is because the best football is played in, in the SEC, and if USC. University of South Carolina had to play Gamecocks. Go Cox played in any other division in the U.S. They'd be winning. That's yeah, a great point. That's I, what I, I, I kind of thought the SEC was a little down this year, but yeah, okay. I love how <laughs> negative partisanship rears its head. Exactly. No, I'm glad I asked that. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's be honest. I mean, how Alabama got in is a head scratcher too. So I don't know how you jump from eight but i'm not saying that anything's uh well you beat the number one team in the country and then you have florida state with a injured quarterback that looks like just don't pass the eye test now i think alabama was probably going to win the whole thing but it's just i don't know a lot of people were they were excited that georgia lost and then immediately it was like but alabama shouldn't be in there either you know and that was the debate that i kept hearing alabama gets i know the whole thing's rigged all right So I'm guessing there's a whole lot more conversation over the weekend about this than politics. Yeah, it's just it's just that sort of a bar. <laughs> well, it sounds normal. Well, I've got a four and a six year old, so I can't. I used to do a lot of the happy hours, so I could go in and do all my like the business side of the stuff, and then I'd do happy hour and get off at eight, and then go home or stay if it was a weekend night. I'd just work a double through. But now with kids, I miss out on like the happy hour. It's not as crowded and you can kind of have more debates and fun, you know, going back and forth. The weekends or just any of the evenings, it's just busy. And we're just like literally like throwing cheap beer at kids and be like, here. Yeah. 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 And the the kids are there with other things on their mind. I suspect. (laughs) I just say, I I always tell the kids, I'm like, I hope you're having fun because I'm living vicariously through you. I'm going home to a four and a six year old and everything else. So you, you should really go talk to that girl that just bought you a shot. And they're like, really? <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, you know, bartenders are life coaches, man. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I, man, I've married people, you know. I'm their bartender. <laughs> I'm their, I'm more than a priest. That's why we talk to bartenders every week. Okay, so one of our traditions is to have our bartenders present to us a couple cocktails could be real, could be fictional, named after local politicians or in-state politicians. So I believe today you have for us a Nikki Haley and a Lindsey Graham. Oh yeah, I was very excited to come up with these cocktails as I am a poor mixologist, so I really had to dig deep to come up with these drinks, but uh, I'm excited to present to you both the Nikki Haley and the Lindsey Graham. I'll start with the Nikki Haley, which is sort of my play on a red snapper. I wanted them both to be kind of red in color for their Republican backgrounds. When I think of Nikki, she's a little spicy and fiery. So came up with this, which is basically a gin Bloody Mary using, of course, Bombay dry gin. You know, you have your tomato juice and lemon juice, hot pepper, Worcestershire, and then uh, some ground cumin, which is native to India, I found out. Add a little spice to that dash of black pepper, celery stock, and olives to garnish. Red in color, spicy, little on the Indian heritage, but not too much of a plate to go overboard. Love it. I think I'd drink that. I've never had oh, yeah. gin bloody before. I, I never have either, but as soon as Chris said it, I'm like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> There's right. still reason. 
little botanical in there. You know, Bloody Maria's and Bloody Mary's. Yeah. So then I yeah. like, well, why don't they make gin? I looked, uh, yeah, man, it's, it is a popular drink. You know what? You try it, I'll try it. And we'll, we'll have to email yeah, back we'll, and forth a, a review. Yeah. We'll Just circle back before the uh, South Carolina primary, for sure. Hopefully I'm still in business. We're having a real problem with bar insurance in South Carolina. So oh, really? Uh, oh. All the VFWs are closed right now. Basically, liability lawsuits in South Carolina, our state legislator is almost all plaintiff attorneys. So about five years ago, six years ago, they rewrote the laws. They are now very heavily favored towards attorneys suing bars. And so all the insurance companies are pulling out because they're like, we're losing, you know, for every dollar we put in, we, we pay out two. So now we're only down. I think we have three insurance companies that will insure a bar in South Carolina. Two of you had a claim in the last like five years. We need to get that worked out. I mean, we bring in the PBR lobbyists into Columbia, get that figured out. They go back in in, um, in January. So we'll be up there then. But not to get too far off topic, I want to, we'll go with the, uh, the Lindsey Graham. Yeah. The son of a bar owner, right? Didn't he grow up above a bar? I do not know, but if you say so, I trust your knowledge and history yeah. more than I. No, I'm pretty sure uh, that's right. I use the Sweetgrass Vodka, which is a local vodka here in Charleston. And uh, it actually just got bought out by actor Jeremy uh, Renner for way oh, that's really? worth. Huh. Yeah, and this is my play on the Hanky Panky as uh, Lindsey Graham is a, great, is a great man. He's a good senator for South Carolina. But, uh, you know, sometimes you never know what you're getting with Lindsay socially. So we're using the sweetgrass vodka, a little bit of sweet vermouth, a dash of Fernet Branca. And then to garnish, I wanted to use a peach twist because, as you might not know, South Carolina grows more peaches than Georgia. Is that right? That is a fact that I'll happily, I don't even have to debate. That's a fact. So a little, little stone fruit finish on that. That sounds nice, actually. I would drink that 100%. I mean, how could you go wrong? You got uh, two local kind of ingredients in there with the sweetgrass vodka and the uh, and the peach. California uh-huh. is that number one producer of peaches in the U.S. No one yeah, I'm in California. We're number one in almost all those products just because we're big. But I love that the Palmetto State is the real peach state in the South. <laughs> yeah, it is. I learned that probably about 10 years ago. I think it was for my wife, who is very proud to be from South Carolina, South Catalaki, and has a very strong accent. And anytime she can mention something that we're number one at, she will let me know and remind me multiple times. Well, those sound awesome. I'm fired up for the gin bloody for sure. I think we have to get this to Nikki, so she should yeah. try her drink. I might know people. Get it in her hand, let them know. Get a yeah. little review. Yeah. Well, maybe she could tag me or something on Instagram. Oh, yeah. We'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, Chris, this is great. We really appreciate it. The rec room sounds fun. Charleston is funny. All the places I've been around the country, and Charleston is like number one on the I got to get to it list. So I look forward to getting through there and having a PVR and a shot oh, someday. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got to encourage people, right? I mean, the city is just a great visit. Great food scene. No doubt. One of my favorite Bourdain episodes, right? It's Charleston, for sure. They have golf courses, Rob. Good. I hear that. I played recently. I went back to Massachusetts and played with a friend, and we were playing in, like, rolling hills, and these were, like, steep drop-offs. And I was like, how do you hit a drive? I don't even know where it's going. Try playing my courses in Colorado. It's tricky. A lot of blind shots. Bring a few sleeves. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, Chris, yeah. thanks, man. You've put some perspective around what's going to be happening in South Carolina here in the weeks to come. Great insights. Appreciate you sharing with us a little bit of your life there and what your patrons are all about. Yeah, keep your ears open, too, because we might want to come back before the South Carolina primary and do a quick check-in. Yeah. I would love that. No, I really enjoyed this. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, brother. Have a PBR. Will do. Talk soon. Well, Kacho, that was great. I mean, we've been wanting to do South Carolina for a while. Chris was on the mark right in the heart of Charleston with a fantastic bar. (laughs) Sells the most PBR in the world. Oh man, I love it. Feels to me. What'd you think? What'd you pick up from him? Well, for me, the takeaway is, you know, learning a lot more about Nikki. She is popular in South Carolina, obviously. We've been watching her rise since the first debate. And, you know, she just put up a big TV buy in Iowa, New Hampshire. She's in second place, basically everywhere, tied with DeSantis for second in Iowa. So I think what we hope to see to have an interesting primary is we want to see someone come out of Iowa, New Hampshire, and get it down to a two-person race. And it looks like that person could be Nikki Haley. And if the next contest is South Carolina, where she's from and where she's well-known, depending upon how Trump, you know, treats her and reacts to, you know, to getting this kind of one-on-one race, you know, it could get really interesting there. And I think, you know, Chris kind of confirmed that for us. If you're going to beat Trump, it has to be, it can't be Trump versus the field. It's got to be Trump versus somebody. And if that somebody is Nikki and it happens in South Carolina, I got to think that's the best shot you have at kind of, you know, the wheels coming off of the Trump train. Well, she certainly would be the only viable option in South Carolina to Trump, right? And you're right. Your scenario is Trump freaks out and attacks her and do South Carolinians rally around her because she's one of theirs. It was interesting, you know, he noted even amongst his patrons, which tend to be a little more liberal and younger, they were very proud when she became the UN ambassador. So there is a an in-state pride aspect that is in play there. Is it, you know, deep enough to make a difference? We'll see, but she's certainly a favorite daughter. That was clear. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week. We're getting close. Iowa's in, what, five weeks? And we'll be off to the races. So stay tuned for more great bartenders from important places around the country as politics heat up in America. See you on a bar stool next week, Cottrell. Cheers, Rob. Cheers. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Cottrell and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.